All right. Another little hiatus in the books, and boy, is it awesome to be back here on the podcast. I've got Chris Durr here, going to be talking about all the things that we learned and all the things that we're still trying to figure out about the 2023 Ryder Cup. So please stay tuned for that. But before we get to the podcast, I want to kindly let you guys know that Nice Grass, Nice People is proudly presented by Suave Golf. If you go to suavegolf.com, you can find an assortment of goods and awesome golf sabbaticals, including two that we've got in here for 2024. We are going to Bandon Dunes for the Bandon Spring Jamboree at the end of March 2024. We still have a few spots left, so grab a buddy, sign up, and come join us at what I consider to be the best golf destination in all of North America. And then a year from now, at early October 2024, we are going to be having our inaugural, how do you say that word, inaugural rally in the valley at Sand Valley Golf Resort in central Wisconsin. Registration for that is open now at suavegolf.com. Click on the sabbatical link at the top, register, invite a friend, come with us and have yourself a good time. All right, let's not waste any more time, everybody. Let's get to the podcast. Let's go. Look at this place. Oh, it looks more like a, a country club than a nursing home. Nice grass, nice people. And I hope you brought your bathing suit. Welcome back to Nice Grass, Nice People. Kyle Serlo here, and I am joined by my friend and close golfing confidant, Chris Durr, who is just chomping at the bit to uh, break down a little bit of the most recent Ryder Cup. We've been sitting on this for a couple of weeks. I think our, our minds have reached an absolute take limit, so I, th- I think it's time to relieve ourselves. Um, Mr. Durr, I mean, do, do you feel like this is going to be a real weight off your chest, knowing that the world is now going to know how you truly feel about what transpired uh, just outside of Rome a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of people talk <laughs> and share their two cents about what happened at the Ryder Cup, dude, and I just feel like uh, my t- my twist and my take and my uh, my perspective on all these things has been really missing, dude. I think it might, it might shift some tides for some people that have words. Yeah, I in, in the couple weeks, granted, we could have done a rapid reaction pod as soon as the tournament was done, and... If it weren't for me just being a little too lazy to actually get it all coordinated and figure the logistics out, we may have. But I actually think it's much better now that we're doing this two weeks after the fact because we've had a, a little time to marinate, think about things. I Do you feel like you're, you know, how you feel about what happened in Rome has changed at all now that you've had some time to think about it? I think I have only been, I think my takes have only been more, like, have gotten more refined. My opinions okay. on, the, on the matter have, have, have uh, I've worked out the kinks. I've softened the edges on them. I think okay. I've got a I've got a really good idea on what on what I saw and what I think about what I saw. Amazing. Okay. Well, I cannot wait to get into anything and everything Ryder Cup with you. We're going to talk about all the things that we learned and things that we didn't learn from the 2023 Ryder Cup. But before we do that, I just want to quickly hit uh, the news of the week with you, Senor. Which was uh, it came out this week that the OWGR, the official World Golf Rankings, is not going to allow players on the live tour to accumulate world ranking points and from uh, doug ferguson of the associated press quote um this was from the owgr quote the decision not to make them eligible is not political it is entirely technical live players are self-evidently good enough to be ranked they're just not playing in a format where they can be ranked equitably 
with the other 24 tours and thousands of players trying to compete on them. End quote. Um, did this come as any surprise to you, my dude? No surprise to me, and I am shocked at how much I, I, I appreciate the like the temperance with which that was like presented, right? Like there that I, I think it's I think he's strictly giving just facts there, right? It's the only sure. tour that plays three day events and I think that's really, really difficult for uh well, for that, them that, to figure out how to rank, right? Like well, I mean that, like, that's what it, I found so simple... interesting is that that is yeah. th- there was some quotes in there I, I didn't include them in our show notes, but there were some things in there where he's like, look, man, like it actually is possible. Like we could give you um you know, the 54 holes isn't necessarily the main issue. I think for them, it was more about the qualification and like the demotion and like promoting basically not having a feeder system where guys can qualify. And then if they don't play well, drop out. Cause, um, I, I, I like this. This was a little something that Brendan Porath, uh, from the fried egg, um, wrote where he said, quote, you know, the reasoning takes pains to suggest the league has some, uh, oh, geez, I, I had some notes in here and then I have a word that I don't know how to pronounce. All right. The reasoning takes pain to suggest the league has some intractable issues that make it an entirely different game to rank, and in, that doing so would be unfair to the other tours. It's a different sport, a different product, akin to ranking quarterbacks from a 7-on-7 league uh, to an 11-on-11 league in the same bucket on their stats. You just can't do it. And Dawson, who's the head of the OWGR, actually cites Liv's lack of cuts and 54-hole structure as elements that could be overcome. The larger issue is that Liv is a closed shop, with players who contractually cannot lose their status no matter how shitty they play, and no real methods of qualification to be promoted into its upper tier. So, I that, that's the thing. It's like, with the live model, I mean, it seems like that, that doesn't even seem possible. Like, they're just kind of screwed right. indefinitely. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean... What the, you know the, uh, until the framework PGA agreement, I should say, becomes you know ratified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> allegedly, live and PJ Tour are going to merge now, right? So this just feels like a slightly like like it just seems a little extra, you know. Like, um, but I think I think he's making a lot of good points, and if they cannot find good like equal qualities to to rank the players then they you know then they, I mean they're making sense on why they why they don't right and it does sure. and it's it's true live is fundamentally different than li- quite literally every other tour in the world so yeah i mean you know if they're if they're if they're choosing not to rank them because of those differences that seems fair for all parties yeah i thought it was very very well said i feel like it, there's not a lot that the players on live can do to put up too much of a stink i th- i think it was good on you know good on the owgr for actually kind of just telling them like it is and like you said just being very factual not making it personal which has been really hard for seemingly live and anybody that they're going up against things just always seem to get a little ugly no matter how professional people seem to think they're being um but yeah i i i'm not surprised i guess i'm just curious to see how this is going to have an effect if any if this framework agreement comes to fruition and these tours tours merge because then at that point you know, if Liv just gets dissolved, right? Liv gets dissolved, it gets like rebranded into another name, and all of a sudden, now they don't have the issue of not getting world ranking points. Is it is it, exactly. is it more complicated than that? Uh, no, no, I don't think it's. I don't. I really don't think it's more complicated. Than okay. that. It seems that simple to me. It seems it truly does seem that simple to me as well. Okay, okay. So I mean, final uh, final ruling: story or non-story? Non-story, non-story. The bigger story, the bigger story that I still seem to have a lot of questions about is what exactly is happening with this merger. Uh, that that seems to no one no one seems to have answered that question since they announced it. I haven't heard anything new about that. I could care less about world ranking points at this point. 
the guys that I want to see are still going to play in the events that I want to see them play in, which is yep. the majors. Uh, and whether or not they uh, they get points for whatever else they do doesn't matter to me. I'm much more curious and curious. Yeah, much more curious about what are they going to do with the merger. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see, man. I um, well, I mean, in addition to the majors, the other you know event that I would care deeply about some of these guys playing in would be the Ryder Cup, which yes. I guess, I guess, you know, hey, I, this is what we came here to talk about today. I, I wanted to f- squeeze in that one little news item, but I, f- I feel like we just can't, uh, you know, just a, just a few minutes in, we can't wait any longer. Um, yeah, because it's just, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I have, like, so many notes here. I have so many thoughts that I almost feel like I'm overwhelmed. So maybe I just kind of want to kick it to you just to kind of get your initial thoughts on this. Like I said, we're going to go through a bunch of things that we learned and we didn't learn, but as your takes have gotten a little more polished and refined over the last couple of weeks, what, I don't know, 10,000 foot view before we dive in, like how, how are you feeling about what transpired in Rome when the U S lost 16 and a half to 11 and a half? I am. I'm truly shocked that the U S lost. I thought the U S was going to win. I thought they were, I thought that I thought they were going to end the drought. I thought they just had a slightly better team. Uh, and I thought, did you continue thought, to think that during the event, or did that change pretty quickly after after balls went in the air? Oh my god, that changed so quickly after balls okay. went in the air. It changed. <laughs> it changed almost immediately after balls went in the air. This is all. This is all just pre hype. the The main thing that I took away from it, I like. I liken it to playing a game of wolf or banker or some other gambling game with a really good player. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the good player always goes like, well, I shot 66 and lost $20. Like, this game is stupid. And it's like, yeah, we're not playing golf. We're playing wolf. Like, you know, you have to – There, it's a different – it's a, it's a different game, right? It's a different game. And I feel like the U.S. does not show up to the Ryder Cup ready for the game. They're all trying to play golf, and it's not golf. It's the Ryder Cup. It's a completely different beast, right? Like, it's team golf. It's, you know, whatever. Golf is the thread – the through line through the event, right? But it's not, you're not playing golf, you're playing in the Ryder Cup. And I feel like Americans have a really hard time distinguishing that. And I feel like Europeans not only have a really easy time distinguishing that, they really buy into it. They're like, yeah, yeah, like this isn't for, like I'm not playing for my stats, I'm not playing for me, I'm not playing for trying to get better, I'm just trying to win the Ryder Cup, right? And the U.S. is still very much thinking like, well, I need to play my game of golf in order, and then, you know, statistically speaking, that should lead to a win. It's like, no, 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 dude, play the Ryder Cup. Play the game. Play the game. That they, they feel like none of them had, I mean, for like, this just sounds so cliche, but I feel like none of them had their heads in the game, right? Like, all of them were somewhere else. Even though they showed up with intensity and everything, I feel like the Americans really did not have their their heads in the game like they didn't understand they don't they still don't seem to understand what exactly is going on in that event uh in order to to have success that's a great call man i i love i love that analogy about like playing golf versus playing the game i think you hit the nail on the head and as you were talking i was kind of curious like do you think that has like how much of that has to do with the way these guys grow up right because i feel like in the united states most everybody's just mostly playing stroke play or variations of stroke play growing up where you hear your Europeans, like the one one that comes to mind that I'm thinking of is uh, the architect David McClay kid talks about this all the time where when he was growing up, they never played match play, you know, growing up in Scotland, it's like you only just play matches against your friends. Like that's, that's how we play golf. Like golf is more of a one-on-one, like something you play against somebody much less so than it is against yourself. And I just wonder how, like, do you think the cultural upbringing as it relates to golf 
is like has anything to do with the fact that the U.S. basically becomes impotent the second they set foot on European soil for these Ryder Cups. Uh, yeah, I th- and I, I don't think overhauling the U.S. golf culture is the answer either, right? Because, I mean, if we look objectively at who mm-hmm. the best players in the world are, yeah, they are. It is predominantly Americans, right? Like you know, like obviously Rom, Rory, Victor Hovland, Tommy Fleetwood. Like those guys are all freaks and very, very good golfers, right? But like, you know, most of the best players in the world, or most of the players, you would typically, say with the highest. Typically, the U.S. has way more top ten, you know, players in the world than Europe does. In fact, I got a great stat here from Kyle Porter uh, from his Normal Sport newsletter. That is, by the way, if uh, if you, I would highly recommend it to anybody that enjoys, you know, good writing. Kyle's very, very talented. Um, uh, he wrote, since 2000, the European Ryder Cup team has had more top 10 players on its team than the Americans just one time. In 2014, that's the only year in the last 20 years, uh, 23 years, excuse me, that they've had more top 10 players than the U.S. has when they've come to the Ryder Cup. Europe has won eight of those 11 Ryder Cups. They're eight and three. See, that makes, I mean, like, <laughs> I think I think that, again, like, talking about the U.S. golf culture, like, I think the U.S. golf culture breeds really good players because the emphasis in the U.S. at a very young age with golf is that it is a craft that you can get as good at it as you want to, right? Like, I don't know if sure. I said that eloquently, but, you like, you know, you can get as much out of it as you put in. And it's a craft. It's a practice. You know, you can you can be diligent with your practice and you will reap the benefits of becoming the best player you can be, which For is, sure. I think, a really, really good message, not just in golf, but just in general. Right. Like that's a good thing to to instill in people and kids specifically about golf. Right. So then golf always, you know, is is taught as like a or framed in like this this through this lens of of being you know you're playing yourself you're not you're playing yourself in the course you're not playing your playing partners you're you're trying to make yourself better each day incremental improvement little by little each day you know yeah like that whole mantras are taught and pushed forever junior golf all the way through collegiate golf and then even in the professional ranks which breeds like really elite talented players who are essentially restless you know they always want to try to get better where in europe it seems that it's very much more of a game like a very like it's uh, actual game. It's like you know, sometimes you have bad games, sometimes you have good games. Like Tom Brady when he was playing quarterback had great games and had terrible games. You know, and it's like mm-hmm. and it it doesn't you know like it's framed in the and through the lens of it being much more of a game over there. And I think that really yields success when you are the only time in the golfing calendar right that you play a game right. Like the Ryder Cup is a game. It's us versus them. That's that's mm-hmm. a game. You know, that's not a it's not golf. You're playing a game. And and I think that's why the Europeans are very comfortable in that in that environment. I think that's why the Europeans just beat our ass, dude. Do you think one is better than the other? I mean, because I, I think they're both, you know, like I said, viewing it as a as a craft versus as a game. Do, do you do you think one is better than the other just in terms of development of people, uh, development of golfers, I should say? I I think the proof would be in the pudding that, uh, like, having it be a craft and having it viewed through the lens of a craft that you can get as much out of as you put into is better for the development of golfers that want to be the best golfers they can be, right? But, again, that's not, 
back to that same point I made earlier. That's not the game. That's not that's not the game that the Ryder Cup is, right? Like, I mean, obviously, yeah. it allows it allows us to have you know better players on our Ryder Cup team, but it you know it gives us better players that don't know what they don't know the game they're playing. You know, it's like they showed up for a game of checkers and the Europeans are playing chess, and they're just like, what? I don't know what is going on. Like, they just don't know what's going on. You know? Um, yeah. I, and I think I think I think you know if you look at it, like the best European players, like Ludwig went to Texas Tech. You know, like those boys. John Rahm went to ASU. Like those boys come over here in order to develop themselves into the best players that they can be, right? So, I mean, you know, I don't think it's so much that one is better than the other. I think it's just it's they're frankly very different, and um, the U.S. version of that does not yield success in the Ryder Cup at all. Man, you've said so many things that like have got my mind buzzing. I, I don't know if this analogy works or not, so I'm just going to workshop it off you. Is there any comparisons to basketball with basically like AAU culture in the States and basically the emphasis on developing prospects, you know, kids to basically prioritize like their individual success to be, you know, multi-layered, you know, guys who can shoot, dribble, pass, play defense well <laughs> that last part actually let's let's be honest they're, they're not playing any defense um but basically like like the aau culture where it's basically meant on you know trying to get that individual a, as good as possible to increase their draft stock so they can ultimately get to the league and make as much money as possible versus european basketball or you know international basketball where there's a much larger emphasis put on team basketball during their developmental stage and um Again, it, it, it's not it's not a perfect analogy, but I do think there is some some symmetry right between the two in that, you know, those European guys that are coming over here to go to school for golf, you know, they grew up with it as a game. And maybe now they're coming out here, you know, to the States to kind of really learn how to hone their craft. Right. They, they're, they're great at the game. And now they're coming to hone their craft um, where, you know, there's, if the PGA Tour went to a system where half the events were match play and half the events were stroke play. Do you think there'd be as many guys coming over to hone their craft? Do you think the guys would be leaning more into really becoming masters of the game as opposed to masters of the craft? I don't I don't think there's a, a right answer to all these. It's just got my mind spinning all kinds of different ways in terms of like, what are we doing as golfers as we're learning the game and learning more about ourselves within the game that maybe translates into the U.S. being completely fucking inept at the Ryder Cup, especially when it's on European soil? <laughs> to bring it, it all the yeah, way back. I, Yeah, I, I don't know, right? Like, I... I guess as far as the basketball comparison, yes, I think there there is a, there is a line there. There's a through a thread that runs through that. Uh, th- um, and again, like I, I don't know enough about basketball, frankly, to like comment really like heavily and and deeply on that comparison. Sure. But I do think that if you look at the way people watch the NBA now just based on me and my friends who I am a casual fan. Most of my friends are casual fans. I have a couple of buddies that are super into the NBA, but the, the warriors might be the only outlier where people are fans of the team, the warriors, but for the most part, people are fans of players, right? Like people are fans of Kevin Durant and they'll root for Kevin Durant yeah, wherever like he the, goes. The people latest generation, LeBron, very much so. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think, I think that, I think there's, I think there's some kind of comparison to be made there. Like I don't, I don't have it, very well formulated right now enough to like be able to say it eloquently but i think that that has something to do with it right i think and i think the u.s again with bringing it back to golf i think the u.s and golf is very similar that way where they're you know they're much more individually focused uh which can be a good thing in an individual sport right for all events besides the Ryder cup and the Mm -hmm. europeans all grew up 
playing other team sports too, right? Like soccer, whatever cricket, whatever they played over there, the team sports they played were very team, you know, centric, right? Where here it seems like even our team sports are starting to be much more uh, individual focused. So For it sure. probably doesn't yield the best team it's not great. chemistry. Yeah, it doesn't yield the best team chemistry or the best mm-hmm. understanding of like how to fit in a team because you're constantly worried about getting yours. Yeah. As opposed to winning the game. Yeah, man, it's it's crazy. It's a lot a lot to think about. Um well, all right, should, should we get down to Braxton? Should we should we start going down this list here and actually just discussing some of the things that we did in fact learn and then also coming to grips with a lot of things that we we weren't able to learn about this year's Ryder Cup. Um Oh my god, yes. All right, let this are going to be in no particular order. I did this I'm not I didn't even think about arranging it into a countdown that that's way way beyond my pay grade. So, I'm just going to start at the top of the list here, man. Um I'm going to start with something that I didn't learn. And maybe maybe you can help me out here. I still haven't learned what the point of this task force is. I I couldn't even I'm not 100% sure I can even explain to you what the task force is. I know it involves a buddy system. I know that it gets touted as this amazing thing that the United States has done to really change the game and really equalize things with Europe and it doesn't seem to be bearing a lot of fruit and so I I don't know like that's certainly something that I haven't learned maybe you can shed some light on it for me I think the task force started off with Paul Azinger and it won there in 08 with that Ryder Cup first time we'd won a Ryder Cup in so long which I Mm -hmm. remember vividly great Ryder Cup super fun Valhalla unbelievable um heading back for the PGA next year yeah, Amazing. dude, we'll see. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, the task force does seem to be inept, and I think the task force <laughs> is, like, why? I root for the American team in the Ryder Cup. Why do I know that Eduardo Molinari is their guru genius stats guy on the European team, and that all of their team pairings and everything are run through his stats machine in order to make sure that they're putting out the best statistical pairing uh, for at any given moment, right? I don't even root for Europe. Why do I know that? And why do I not even know who is on the U.S. task force? Like, I couldn't name one guy. I just know that it exists as, like, this mythical entity in the sky, like, watching over our Ryder Cup team doing literally nothing. So it's okay. like, I don't this know. Is, like we d- Honestly, brother, this is such a relief because, like, you and I are major golf heads. Like, we, we're fucking huge fans of the game, right? I mean, shit, we're hosting a fucking golf podcast, for Christ's sake. I have no fucking idea what the task force is. That seems like a problem to me. Yeah. Neither and, of us do, do, it seems and, like. And neither of us do. And I know what I've never heard about. I've never heard anything about a European task force. I've never heard anything about a European like like leadership model. I've never heard anything about anything like that on the European tour. But I know what I do know about the Europeans. I know exactly what Paul McGinley did to captain to success in 2014. I know exactly what Eduardo Molinari's role is as the stats guy. I know like those guys have very designated roles that seem to like be somewhat results based like not results based in the sense of like how players do results based in the sense of like their uh job excuse me their job is like you know not scrutinized heavily but like there is a there's a way to measure how good they're doing at their job you know Mm -hmm. and like and it seems to be rather important and i don't know anything about the u.s task force or like what anyone is doing to make us play better in the Ryder Cup. And that, that really frustrates me because, frankly, there's no reason that the U.S. doesn't have access to uh, as bright 
of a stats guy as Eduardo Molinari, right? Like we definitely have access to those people. Why are we not leveraging them and using them uh, and to the best of our ability in order to send our best pairings out? That makes no sense to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I just, I, I feel like I listen to enough, you know, I, I read enough you know, articles on golf, on the Ryder Cup. I listen to enough podcasts and, you know, you know golf shows and I, it just doesn't make any sense to me that something that's this critical to the Ryder Cup and to, you know, to golf at large, you know, like, you know, that the entire entity that controls the American Ryder Cup team is not understandable to 98% of golf fans. That, that to me seems like do away with this thing. Get, get out of here. I, I, again, it's breaking my brain here live on the fucking podcast. I'm trying to, I'm trying to process, get these words out of my mouth. And the whole task force concept is just short circuiting everything upstairs. It just, I didn't learn anything. I didn't learn anything about the task force. I learned nothing about the task force. The only thing I've learned, I've, I've further solidified my take that they're absolutely inept. Uh, that's the only. And I, I do know that Zach Johnson was that. given the captaincy because of his belief in the task force. Again, yeah, he believes dude. in it. He knows what it is, but it doesn't really seem like he knew what he was really doing no, <laughs> when he was captaining the, no. the ship. No, dude, it doesn't. Like, I don't know, man. It really bothers me. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's uh, let's go on to something. We started off with something that we we didn't learn. Let's let's start with something that we did learn. All right. And so I. I have a feeling that you and I are going to be on a, you know, opposing sides of some of this, so I, I'm really, really interested to get your take here. The, th- the thing that I learned at this year's Ryder Cup is that a large portion, if not the majority, of the United States team is a lot tougher to root for than I, than I thought going in. Oh, my I, God. Yeah. I, and not just because they all kind of played, you know, a lot of them played like ass. You know, watching these guys go up against these Europeans and, like, watching the way the Europeans were treating the event... I just was like, I walked away from this cup being like, man, like, until something dramatically changes for a lot of these guys, I can't see myself, like, rooting for these guys, like, on tour, even. Like, I, I, I know he's your boy, and I know that he's got a he's got a fucking gorgeous golf swing. I love to watch him swing. But I'm not going to lie, man. Like, given everything that happened at the tournament and everything that's happened after the golf tournament with all the reports of the compensation and whatnot, like, I'm sorry, man. Like, it's just going to be really hard for me to root for Xander Shoffley. Why? Yeah, I, yeah, he's he's a totally a beautiful golf swing and a completely uninspiring personality. And I'm sorry, man, if I'm going to dedicate this much time to the sport as a fan, like I need a little something more from him. And that could be said for a lot of the guys that we'll go through here. here. But I, I kind of want to get your first reaction to, to to that because I know you've always been a huge Shoffley fan. And yeah. I, 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 maybe you can clarify if it was more the man, the golf swing. I I, I just don't really know. I, I just left this golf tournament feeling emotionally lost and detached from the, this this team that I feel like I'm supposed to be rooting for. My, my my patriotic core says to do one thing and my eyes are telling me these guys ain't it, man. I I likened this to go again with another basketball analogy here. I likened this US uh Ryder Cup team to the Brooklyn Nets of a couple years ago when they had like Kyrie and James Harden and Kevin Durant sure. and Ben Simmons and it was supposed to be just like super team they're going to be unreal and it's going to be so fun and like they didn't play together well they hardly played together at all everyone was a diva and they just didn't do anything at all ever you know and i i think this u.s team is a lot like that right because they are i agree wildly unlikable even like the guys that you should be liking like the spieths and the jt like they came off really really unlikable man and it's crazy and it's like uh Europeans came off again they came off like the warriors dude where even if you don't like 
you don't root for the Warriors or don't like the Warriors, it's hard to not like Klay Thompson. It's hard to not like Steph Curry. Like, it's hard to not like the guys on that team, right? You know, like, you hear everyone concede that. Even people who root for other teams will concede that, you know? And and it's just, it, it was evident from the very first session, just with little things like, uh, like, you know, like the way everyone treated Nikolai and Lud- Lud- Ludwig, right? Like it was the team, the teammates were very much behind them, supporting them, understanding their role and understanding how to get the best out of their essentially role players, right? And the role mm-hmm. players being very happy with their role, Ludwig and Nikolai being very happy with like, okay, like I'm a rookie. My role isn't to win the Ryder Cup. My role is to just try to play well and try to put points on the board for my team, right? Um, sure. Like a point is a bonus at this point, and like they really embrace that role. Where like the roles and the dis- the way it was distinguished in the U.S. team, obviously, oh, obviously it wasn't distinguished, right? Everybody on the U.S. team felt like they were the number one player on the on the team and had to bring home all the points, you know, which is just not a way to to have success in any team sport, right? You need to you need to have a clear designation of roles. And people may be unhappy with their roles. We see blow-ups in sports all the time, right, where teammates are fighting on the sideline or yelling at the coach or whatever. That's very real and very raw, and that normally comes from the fact that, like, you know, people are believing themselves to a higher level than the role that they're assigned, which is fine, right? That's part of sports. But, like, when everybody on the team is just delusional and thinks that they're the number one guy and all all the ball should run through them always, man, it, you're just going to get a bunch of disconnected divas, you know, there's a reason that not everybody was like, you know, like you can't have a team of TOs, dude. You can't have a team of Terrell Owenses. That's just not going to work, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, just from from an unlikable group. I mean, who who comes out of the Ryder Cup as as the least valuable player? Who's the LVP? I mean, is it is it Cantley? Is it Shoffley? Or is it one of the other guys on the team? Uh. I mean, if we're going off play, it's Wyndham Clark, right? He was useless. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. Going, yeah. If we're going, although, I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I do like, uh, did, did you get a chance to listen to the interview that Max Homa did on the No Laying Up podcast after the Ryder Cup? I did. I did. I, I do love that the whole, you know, Max and seemingly the whole Ryder Cup team does refer to Wyndham as Dub. I think it's I think Dub it's is a, great. Dub Clark is actually a really handsome, strong name. I, I hope that continues. Um, I agree. But, yeah, and and I, for, for all intents and purposes, Dub, as he has been dubbed, is a uh, is a seems like seems like a great guy, you know, like sure. seem, like has gone through a lot in his life. Seems like incredibly normal, right? I I appreciate the fact that he is candid and open in interviews. Totally. Uh, seems like seems like a great hang. Would love to have dinner and get a beer with him. But like, I mean, if we're just going to objectively try to qualify like the quality of golf, like yeah, I think he played the worst. <laughs> See, that's is like I, what, the, the U.S. got trucked so fucking hard. They're like, oh, I, I didn't even th- come out of it thinking about Wyndham Clark not being totally up to go because there was just so many other guys that played such shitty golf. I mean, you think about playing bad golf, you know, if you think about bad golf of the 2023 Ryder Cup, my mind's not going to go to Wyndham Clark. It's going to go to Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka getting beat 9-7. and seven. You know Disgusting, what I mean? Like, dude. It's fucking, like, it's just, there's so many, <laughs> like, I, 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 I do appreciate, though, that you, your mind actually does. See, it just proves how much of a real golf enthusiast junkie you are because your mind immediately goes out to, you know, wh- what's happening out on the gridiron, you know, what, what's actually happening out on the field. I'm thinking, like, from a, you know, again, like a 10,000-foot viewer talking about, like, who comes out of this thing with the biggest egg on their face, I guess is maybe a better uh, a better question, a, be- a better way to pose the question, I should say. I guess I guess Patrick Cantley and Xander, of course, come out with the biggest egg on their face just for like causing dissent and wanting to get paid. Like that's just so lame, you know, like so lame to want to get you get paid 
51 weeks a year to play golf, dude. Like, suck it up one time, you know? There's plenty of people doing internships on Wall Street sleeping under a desk, dude, <laughs> for no money, bro. And you, you you got to go put on one of the greatest sporting events of all time, which, again, is like a ridiculous comparison. The, but The lack uh, of self-awareness, you know, like, for those guys is, yeah. like, pretty, like, pretty incredible. Like, they, they seem Jarring, like they're, they're not unintelligent guys like they yeah like i mean I, I, a lot of athletes you can be great at sports and not necessarily have like an iq of 150 right but it's like these guys like you know i've always considered a lot of these golfers especially xander and, and cantley you know to be like relatively sharp guys and man just like the unawareness of just how shitty they look based on the things that they've been saying about pay and like all this different stuff like that it's just it's still it's unsurprising and still shocking that I think that's really damning on Cantley Cantley because I do think Cantley is intelligent. Uh so that that uh, uh, makes it worse, right? That makes it like 10 times worse to like the the belief that like I actually do think Cantley's like a pretty intelligent guy. Um uh, but it's just like the just you know the aware, the lack of awareness is just so bad, dude. I think I think um to kind of flip that a little bit on guys that that came out with no egg on their face. I think Kepka getting trounced nine and seven and essentially for all intents and purposes playing a really bad Ryder cup. I just keep thinking of like the, the air, like the meme of the Arizona Cardinals head coach of like, they are who we thought they were. It's like, yeah, <laughs> we, I mean, we Brooks is exactly, he is exactly who we thought he was, dude. He doesn't care about anything except the majors. Cause that defines his personal legacy. And totally. to think that, to think that some team event, uh, is going to change that is is a futile effort, right? And it's just funny because, you know, people were thinking, like, Brooks was going to come out and, like, carry the flag for Liv and, like, you know, prove why Liv players need a fair shake and all of these things. And he just came out with the most apathy ever and got fucking trounced with the number one player in the world on his team. Uh, and it's just, it's just funny because it's like, man, like, you know – fool me once like shame on you like fool me twice like can't can't get fooled again you know like I just, absolutely I just, now i and now know like, the, the father in not me the guy yeah the, the, the dad in me wants to give you know a little empathy to brooks knowing that he's got like a very small child that was like born premature at home all this different stuff like i know he's got stuff going on in his life you know in his personal life but you know also at the same time like it's also kind of hard for me to have that much empathy because i mean he's probably got how many people to help take care of his little kids he's not you know not sleeping during nights and stuff like that and I'm sorry, man. Like, this was Brooks's opportunity, like you said, to. I mean, I, he was never, I think, gonna like pound the table for Liv and be like this. I, but I think Brooks certainly would have liked to go over there and been like, yeah, like I'm Brooks fucking Kepka. Like, yeah, I really actually only care about majors, but like, I can kick, I can kick ass here too. And boy, was I wrong. That I mean, that's what I thought going in. Goddamn, was I wrong. And it's funny because he's even after everything we've just said. He still doesn't come out of this with egg on his face. It's still like I still just like weirdly. Other guys threw such a him. huge turd pie at everybody that like they're they're going to yeah. forget about Brooks Kepka. Exactly. Like I, yeah, exactly. And <sighs> it's it's and and it's like it it can't be so it can't be egg on your face if you kind of knew it was always there, right? Like the Cantlay and Xander thing, like is so out of left field and so weird that it's like, God, this is so much egg on the face. But with Brooks, it's like, again, it's like, yeah, we, he is who we thought he was, dude. Like yeah. we, like, you know, that's, he's just, he's not, 
if anything, I commend him for being so wildly consistent. You know, like it's it's amazing for you to go over to something that means so much to so many people and not give a single fuck about it. It's it's just it's truly impressive. You know. <laughs> yeah, man. It, it just it, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that, the biggest egg on the faces, I'm sure, goes to you know Xander and uh, and Cantley. And again, I, I think you hit the note on the head just perfectly. Like, man, you make an unbelievable amount of money, 51 weeks of the year, to play golf. By the way, it's not like, you know, you're not out there, like I said, grinding on Wall Street, you know, putting in 20-hour days. You're out there, granted, they work really fucking hard. I don't I don't want to discount how hard they work at golf, but, like, ultimately, they play golf for a living. That's the fucking dream. And then it just looks so bad when you have, you know, the rest of us out there that are, you know, I don't know. Hey, you, you're a very handsome, successful guy. Thankfully, you know, your good looks are going to carry you a long way in life, right? You, you don't have to worry too much, you know? I did, Same could be said for, you know, well, not for me, but I, I think my wife's pretty, pretty good looking. So, you know, she, she she carries it for us. And, you know, for, but again, I, it's just the greed, man. I, I think that's basically what it's like. The greed, when you already have it so good, is such a fucking turnoff. That, like, I don't know what it's going to take those guys to do or what sort of heroics they're going to have to show on the tour next year to get me back on board. I'm not ruling it out, right? Like, I, I'm not I'm, I'm not so set in my ways that I'm just like, fuck these guys forever. Like, I, everybody everybody has a chance to kind of, you know, right their wrongs and, and you know, do the right thing. Um, it's just that, God, man, it just, they put such a sour taste in my mouth. I, I just, I can't imagine if one of those guys in contention at the Masters next April I can't envision a Sarah where I'm going to be pulling for one of those guys if it's if if they have a chance to put on a green jacket. You know what I mean, dude? Yeah, if it's Victor versus Cantlay, I'm going to root for Victor. Group, hundred and five times Victor, out of hundred. A hundred and five times, exactly, exactly. If it's Rory versus like, I don't know. If it's Rory versus Brooks at the Masters, it's like, dude, I'm which it basically was last year, but like, I'm I'm pulling for Rory, you know, yeah. and it's crazy, dude. It's like. And it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's it makes me bummed out to be an American golf fan, man. It really does, dude. It really does. And like, you know, there's a there's a piece of me that wants to stand by it and like, you know, stand up for it. But God, if you're there, they they're really making it hard, man. They didn't give me a reason to, dude. They didn't give me a reason to. And and you know what? Fine. Like, if you're not going to give me a reason to, that's fair. Then I'm allowed to be critical. You know. Then I'm allowed. I'm allowed to be critical of what you did. So I, the next point, a thing that I learned uh, for this year's Ryder Cup, um, is simply that like, Team Europe's just fucking awesome. Yeah, great. <laughs> like so Team, cool. like ever, like Team Europe, like the entity itself and the way they do things, as as you've you know been alluding to with Eduardo Molinari and everything else like that. Just Team Europe in general is awesome. All the players on this year's team, Team Europe, were pretty much just super awesome. Like in just terms awesome. of, they were fun to watch. They were engaging. Like they understood what was fucking happening at this event, seemingly in a way that the Americans didn't. And I guess to go back to the American side, do you think the way that we feel about the American team coming out of this Ryder Cup has more to do with them being genuinely uncompelling and like tough to watch? Or it's just that Team Europe, it just seems like so much fun. And they're just, it's such it's just a joy to watch those guys play this event that it just makes the American team look even kind of worse than they actually are. I, 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 I don't know the answer. I, I'd be very curious to hear your two cents. Yeah, I think, I think, obviously Team US, the USA, did not do themselves any favors at the Ryder Cup this year. And then... 
Team Europe just like buried the hatchet even deeper by just being so awesome, you know? Like so, the 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 difference just seems so big because of the fact that like you know, like I feel you know, like the Team US just had a shovel the whole time and was just digging their own grave, and like Europe was like. You know, do you want a ladder like to get out of this hole? And the Team <laughs> USA was like, "No, no, no, dude, we're good. We'll figure it out with shovels." And it's like, "All right, man, whatever." Like, uh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's there. The the difference seemed so big because of of how awesome Europe was this year. And um, yeah, dude, like, I I would I would never go full turncoat and start rooting for Europe. I just I just can't do that on principle, but. I uh, I'm close, man. I don't think I know if I can I'm do it. Close, I'm close, dude. I'm <laughs> really close, dude. And, and it's so funny because like I remember 2010, the 2010 Ryder Cup. Like now nah, we're just talking ridiculous, but like the 2010 Ryder Cup in Europe when Hunter Mahan blew that chip against Graham McDowell, I had like visceral it still hurts, disdain. dude. That that putt, yeah, that I chip had, still like, hurts. I remember I went I went to school. I was a junior in high school, and I remember I was late to school because I was watching it in the morning, and I had like a visceral reaction and like legitimate disdain for the European team. I was like, fuck these guys, dude. Like how did they beat How did they, how did they massacre my boy, dude? Like, you know, like I, I just, I hated it. You know, I hated everything about it. Uh, Medina, I hated the comeback and like the arrogance of Justin Rose and Ian Poulter and like the comeback, like I hated it. And, uh, and like, I, I, you know, I've always been so staunchly U.S. and those teams had like Patrick Reed on them and like other yeah, like and Webb Simpson and other like wildly unlikable dudes, you know. <laughs> and I still would leave every event and be like, man, like fuck Europe, you know, like what, like it's U.S. U.S. is gonna do it. U.S. is gonna figure it out. Even you know, Pat Reed may be a loser, but he's our loser, you know, like that kind of stuff. And this year, man, I like I. I couldn't even I couldn't keep that same energy. I was just like, man, fuck the US this year, dude. Europe is so much cooler, dude. They're so much cooler. Dude, and like on top of like you are all the things like the, the Team Europe social media presence is just way better. They do all this cool stuff, you know, that, that they basically get their fans more engaged. It seems like the US just doesn't really care about, you know, the actual team room, like I said, like the team aspect of the game that America seemingly just can't figure out. You know, where they bring in, you know, they make Luke Donald's making videos for each individual one of his players, you know, with things from their families telling them about how, like, this is like, you know, really like, I don't know, just magnifying the team aspect and what this means to them and their friends and their friends' families and things like that, where the U.S. is just kind of, they're they're very workmanlike. It's like, hey, man, this is a day at the office. Let's go fucking win. Let's go win this deal. You know, let's, and I think... In a 72 hole stroke play event, I think that's fantastic, as you know, from a results standpoint. But man, just from a from an entertain because ultimately, this is entertainment, man. I mean, it's professional sports, but professional sports is supposed to entertain us, and it just doesn't seem like the USA has the ability to entertain us in in these group formats unless they're front running, right? Like, I think we can all say that what happened at Whistling Straits was entertaining from an American standpoint, just because like, hey, you just like to watch greatness, right? But the fact of the matter is. The United States are fucking front runners, man. And like, and, I, and I'm like, I'm the seven thousandth person to say this. It just is so obvious watching. Like, when they get a lead, oh yeah, everything's good. There's fucking slapping asses, high fives, you know, chuckling. And the second they meet a little bit of resistance, they fucking cave. And it is cave. 
embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. And it's like, you guys don't do, like, you guys make a triple bogey on the fourth hole on Thursday. You guys don't buckle. You just put your head down and you work. And, like, like it doesn't really, like, this should matter less. You make a triple bogey here. It's just one hole. Let's get back up here and let's fucking do it. Let's let, let's use our teammates to pick each other up and let's get after it. And it's just, you never saw it. Whereas on Team Europe, they're just so fucking awesome. You said it so perfectly, right? Like for the rookies like Ludwig and Hoygaard, like that whole team was rallying around those guys, knowing that this was probably going to be a moment that might have could have been a little too big for them and making sure they had every bit of support they needed, both on and off the golf course so they could tackle it. And I just don't see a world where that's ever happening on the United States sides of things. And that's, it's such a testament to how great Team Europe is and the players that play for Team Europe are, um, just for us, the fans. Yeah, and like the little things, like like John Rahm and I think it was Ludwig or Nikolai, I can't remember who he was paired with, but like John Rahm like walking out on the first tee and they're announcing Team Europe and the stands go crazy and John Rahm just puts his arm around him. It's like, that's it's so, like that's, it's it's such a nothing burger of a thing, but it's just huge. It was probably so big for Ludwig in that moment, right? Like it was so, like just to like like not only to like have heard it all day that like hey you're gonna be supported. It's okay. We want you to just go out and do what you do. But then just like a physical reassurance, like hugs are cool, dude. Like people like hugs. Hugs feel good. And to just like have a hug in that moment probably felt so reassuring, right? Or like I remember there was like I remember Justin Rose putting his hands on like Robert McIntyre's shoulders, like walking down the fairway, you know, and Robert McIntyre, Bobby Mack played awful all week, you know, and played objectively bad and was able to pull out a point and a half, you know, out of his two matches. Like obviously Justin Rose carried one of those matches, but like Justin Rose coming over to him and putting like his hands on his shoulders and being like, you know, like we like you uh, first things first, I got you. And second thing second, like I believe in you, dude, like you can do like you can do this, you know, it's huge. We're like, and the Americans are like walking, stride for stride six feet apart like you know like a robotic boringness you know and it's just like that's not there's no nothing about that inspires confidence and then she kind of wanted i wanted to circle back on one thing that you said about luke donald and the videos he made and you know the 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 tightness of the european team yeah i like just the fact that like every player that's on the european Ryder cup team gets a number you know like you are the 112th player to play like on a European Ryder Cup team, like the 112th unique player, and you are forever that number, is so cool. Like that's awesome. so cool, dude. So like, cool. That, like, and like Justin Rose is whatever. Like, you know, just for context sake, like you know they're up to the 120s in numbers, and Justin Rose is like in the 50s. Like that's so cool, you know. Like for Justin Rose to be like, yeah, like I'm 57. It's baller as hell, man. And, yeah, and Ludwig to be like, oh, wow, like, I'm 121, you know? And, like, and Ludwig's probably in his mind thinking, like, hopefully one day I get to play with, like, the 190th guy. You know, yeah. like, hopefully I play it. You know, his whole, like, you know, like, the, you, you, it's human nature to think that kind of stuff, you know? So, you know, Ludwig's thinking, like, wow, how cool that Justin Rose has had this amazing career and has played with, like, 70 different Ryder Cup players, you know? Like, hopefully I get to play with, like, 70 different Ryder Cup players. Like, yeah. I don't know. And the U.S. is, like, I don't think the U.S., like, you know they just take it for granted it seems like totally yeah it, it seems like they just take it for granted they're like oh yeah this is just something that happens every two years whatever like i'm you know i got enough stuff going i gotta go film a lincoln you know lincoln car ride later like you know i got just my minds in different places like we'll do our thing here we'll move on we're like that Ryder cup it just seems like it means so much more to the europeans and i mean and it, i don't know is it just that simple where they just they care more and like i don't know if you watched any other 
sport like basketball, football, baseball, and it was just super obvious that the team you're that you're rooting for genuinely cared about the game way less than the other team. You'd just stop watching. Yeah, I went through that this year with my San Diego Padres. They did not <laughs> care, and it was just like, yeah, dude, I stopped watching in July. Dude. I, I did like, hear right, Petco was still an, an an awesome awesome place to be all year, despite despite them not playing so well. Always a great hang at Petco. Highly recommend Petco. If you're ever in town, definitely go check it out. But yeah, dude, I stopped watching in July, bro. You would watch these guys. None of these guys care. The only one who cared was Hassan Kim, my boy. Yeah. Everyone else, dude, could give a fuck. And it was just like terrible to watch. It was like, I mean, to go two and twenty three and one and like extra inning games is just disgusting, dude. Like, that was tough. Just... That was yeah. That was that was tough for the dads, man. I, I it was not. That, that's the epitome of not caring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the, the perfect perfect example, right? It's like, hey, man, if you're not going to care, then why the fuck should I care? Exactly. You know, if this is the entertainment that I'm trying, yeah. So, yeah, man. Uh, let's see here. I, I got one other thing that I learned from the Ryder Cup from this year, I, I, but I, maybe I'll pose it before I read up that last one. Do you have anything that you want to add to the list of things that you maybe learned or or didn't learn from this year's Ryder Cup? I am. Let me think. I what did I learn or not learn? Um, I'll, I'll hit this last one here, and you can think about it. Maybe we'll, we'll, this will it'll spin into it. The, the other thing that I learned okay. is that Liv, uh, and to be fair, everybody else, it's not just Liv. Um, Liv was right in the in the sense that the masses want team golf. Team yes. golf is so awesome. Like team golf, when it's done right, and the guys care. You can make an argument that it's every bit as riveting as you know a great Sunday. Well, I mean, I don't know. Great team. I mean, the Ryder Cup, I think, is every bit as good as a major in terms of like how compelling it is to watch and how fun it is for me to watch. Right. Team golf is great. Now, the way that Liv does it, not so much. But we need more like meaningful team golf. That's that's the thing that I that I learned again. And I feel like I knew that before, but it was just a very sobering reminder that like this. That it's part of the reason I love sports. I love people watching guys work together to achieve a goal like the team. Like it just that that's what I want for the most part, when I'm watching sports. Um, even though I watch a ton of golf and it's not that way, I, again, I'm watching golf more to see these guys, you know, work on their craft, right? Like, and knowing that golf can be this thing is just so intoxicating and so awesome to see. It just makes me want more. Oh, more. my God, yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think, I don't think, uh, Liv does it right, but I think yeah, team golf is is amazing, dude. Team team sports are great. Team golf is great. I think we definitely need more. Real, real quickly, if they were ever going to implement something like a te- like a I don't know a compelling team golf aspect into like the PGA Tour, let's say they have like a you know a team golf aspect, whereas like maybe there's six events a year, right, that are part of like a team golf. Um, like how 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 do you think it works? Do you do you think it'd be better to have teams? like they do for the Ryder Cup, competing against one another a few times a year where it's like these eight guys versus these eight guys over like a course of a couple of days? Do you think something like Liv is doing where it's like Matt, you know, where it's like stroke play over a couple of days, but like team, like something more like high school golf, right? Where it's like, you know, keep five out of six scores. And then it, I don't know. I, I'd be curious to hear if if I put, uh, you know, if I kick Jay Monahan to the curb and I put you in charge about, you know, putting together the, the team format, um, for, for the pros on like a year to year basis do, do, any any bright ideas on how you think would be the best way to do it uh yes to full okay. bright ideas i think uh, I, that was that was a rhetorical question but yeah but please i think it'd be i think it's so easy i think you do uh 
I think it's already laid out for you. You do like Team Callaway versus Team TaylorMade, Team Titleist versus Team Callaway. Team, you know, just like go off, go off whoever you're sponsored by. Ting Ping versus Team Callaway. Uh, and then you do you do like eight guy, and then you need to gamify it, right? I think the one thing that I'm hearing both of us say without saying it is that we like the game element of team golf, right? So the further we can get away from stroke play, five play, six count, or whatever, six play, five count, like the further we can get away from that, the better. I want it I want it fully totally. 100% gamified. So if it's 5v5, match play, and alt shot done over two days, you know, with like, so let's say you do 5v5, I guess, or 6v6 would allow three sessions. So you do three, you know, 6v6, uh, six sessions a day. So then you'd get whatever twelve points. Mm-hmm. I think that would just be awesome. You know, that would just that would be so great. Like, and then you do Team Callaway versus Team Ping, and then you do all the brands or whatever, and then you just run it over the course of a season, and you run it at the same time as uh, as like opposite field events, right? So like you know, you run it when when crappy events are essentially crappy PGA tour events are going on, you know, and then you can, and then you have a thing where, you know, you do, let's say there's five games a year and for load management sake, you can, you have to play at least three for your team, you know? So you do five team. Callaway has five games. They play team Strixon. They play team ping. They play team TaylorMade. They play team Titleist, and they play team someone else, you know, and then you have to play in at least three of them. I think that would just make the most sense, right? Because guys like Team Titleist or Team Callaway, there's so many guys on each of those teams. You know, there's I say I never want to see. It's amazing. I never even considered the idea of doing it by OEMs. Oh, it'd be great. Like, it, 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 makes, nev- it makes perfect sense for the OEMs because then it's just more like branding for them, right? It's more it's more brand awareness for them. Hmm. Yeah, I I, I never thought about it. In, in my head. I was thinking, could we make it like regional, right? Like. You know, Southern California has like a team. You know, the Bay Area has a team. Chicago has a team. New York has a team. You know, like almost kind of like the other sports. And like, let's say there's six or six or seven of them. You know, six, eight teams. Let's just say it's there's eight teams. Eight events a year for it probably seems like too much. Like they've got, you're probably never going to be able to get the guys to play that often, right? But maybe you're like, hey, there's eight a year, but you have to play in three, four, five, whatever it might be, and each one takes a turn at their host course. Right. So it's like uh, everybody plays here and then like, you know, you have. But again, I, I don't know how you do that with if you just want to play one team versus the other team and you're, and you're all shot. I don't know. I just know the the solutions in there somewhere, Mr. Dur. I just wish I knew the answer and I wish we were going to have it at some point here soon. Me too. Me too. But I mean, yeah, I mean, like all those OEMs, they are they all have corporate memberships at courses in the area like Team TaylorMade. I know the TaylorMade facility up in Carlsbad is a member at a course called Shadow Ridge. You know, like you could just have them play Shadow Ridge. It's just a, you know, it's just a regular course, but like it'd be fun to watch the pros play there. And then obviously yep. Team Ping is right next to True North or like uh, Scottsdale National. I'm sure mm-hmm. they have a membership at one of those places. And it's like, yeah, like go play Scottsdale National, like Team Ping. Yeah, I wonder if Bobby Team would Ping. let him out there. Of course he would. Of course he would love that. You know, Team PXG or the, you know, like the, you know, they would all have their home course. You know, like they're. So I have, some, uh, I have some inside intel on Scottsdale National as it relates to PXG and uh, employees. Most of them have never set foot on Scottsdale National. Apparently, That's awesome. even like the high-ranking guys at Scottsdale National never really get invites out there. Like it's, it's got to be like once in a while the, the women of PXG will be invited out for like a sip and swing type thing. But apparently it's like, no, this is just kind of for like the members. It's not really 
you know, the president's way to kind of host employee. It's it's apparently it's a lot harder to get out there even as a PXG employee than one would think, which uh, that's be pretty interesting. Good for them. Yeah, good for I them. I found it be interesting. Um, last thing in terms of what we learned and what we didn't learn before we we, we say goodbye, my friend. And um, I we were talking about how awesome Europe is. I just wanted to mention how really cool these Ryder Cups when they're in Europe are. I know they're not awesome from a America prevailing standpoint, but I, I thought it was so cool. I mean, the whole time I was watching it, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, I love how much these fans care. But in a like a very like in a similar but also like a very different way than American fans care for the Ryder Cup. And uh I know I mentioned earlier, but when I was reading Kyle Porter's uh normal sport newsletter, um uh, he shared this quote that I just thought was so awesome and it was worth sharing with you and, and the listeners here where he said, quote, if U.S. Ryder Cups feel like a college football game on a golf course, European ones feel almost like a big tent revival. You know, I legitimately believe that the players, fans, families, and team officials, basically everybody, like legitimately believes that these Ryder Cups are spiritual in a way. And it just clicked because like that's exactly like, he put perfect words to what I kind of was watching and what it f- seemed like I was seeing on the television just in terms of how invested all these these guys were and like how they it wasn't you know just a, it wasn't an opportunity to go out there and you know party and, and drink and again not that there's anything wrong with that I love college football right but it did have a very different vibe and I, I guess I would be curious like how much that also contributes to Europe's success when they're on their own soil yeah yeah I hear I yeah, yeah I think you're right Kyle Porter coming up clutch. All right. Um, yeah, man, that's what we learned and we didn't learn with this year's Ryder Cup. You got you got anything else uh, for us, Mister Durr? I I think that if the Europe if the U.S. has another uninspiring performance uh, at Bethpage, dude, I might I might be at, I might be full team Europe, dude. I think it's it's close, man. It's close. Yeah. Not only not only is the U.S. record hanging in the balance next year at two years ago, two years from now's Ryder Cup, but my general fandom for the U.S. is is teetering, dude. Totally. What, what do you think, uh, real quick? What do you think about Beth Page as a Ryder Cup venue? I think that's awesome, dude. I feel okay. so bad for the Europe those fans are going to be wild. They, the, oh, the, the New York so fans bad. are going to be turned up for for Ryder Cup. Um, oh, they're going to they're going to be they're going to be mean, dude. They're going to be super mean. But I will say, like Adair Manor in twenty seven is going to be awesome. Uh, oh, I can't wait. I've seen a lot about that golf course. It just looks absolutely amazing. And then I was like, doing a little research last week. I'm kind of surprised they're going back to Hazeltine again in 29. Did that did that surprise you? So soon no. after they just had it 13 years ago? No, it didn't surprise me. It was honestly a great Ryder Cup, and then that part of the that part of the country is starved for professional golf. So to me, it seems like a no brainer, right? Like give them like okay. it seemed like a it seemed like a no brainer to me. It didn't surprise I, I, me. I, I I knew it was going to go back. I guess maybe slightly surprised at the the frequency between the two, but also like can't fault them right that that part of the country is starved for for action well since you had been there i was just i get i I don't know if the the task force just thought that maybe it would give europe too much of an advantage but i mean gosh i would have thought that aaron hills would have been a fucking perfect Ryder cup site out there you you, you've had your boots on the ground out there does that that did you find that a little surprising they'd go back to hazeltine before they would do something like that at aaron hills uh yes, but I the the Ryder Cup is a PGA of America event, and the PGA of America and the USGA do not share of uh, hosts. Mm. They are they are quite uh, protective of their host sites. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from my understanding, it's kind that, of amazing that, that Riviera is getting U.S. Open then. Very wow. Okay. Very, but Riviera. I'm learning on the club. fly. 
Riviera's a private club, right? So Riviera drives that boat more than anything else. Interesting. Okay. But yes, from my understanding, the PGA of America, that's why it's a big deal that Olympic Club is getting a PGA. Uh, but I think the USGA openly dropped Olympic Club uh, after Webb Simpson winning the U.S. Open there. I know they were unhappy with that. Then the Lexi's debacle a couple years ago, I know they were unhappy with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they think Olympic Club's a little too gimmicky, so I think they were very much ready to drop it. And right when they dropped it, basically, uh, Olympic Club announced reworking by Gil Hans, and the PGA of America locked him in for two PGH, for a PGA championship and, I think, a Ryder Cup. And, uh, a Ryder Cup. and, so, yep. and the USGA was very happy to let it go. The USGA yeah. was very, very happy to let it go. Uh, so, that's crazy, fun man. Facts. Uh, fun facts. A lot of learning out here today, Mr. Durr. A lot of learning. A lot of learning, but you know we're better for it. Um, any, anything else going on with you, man, you want to let the people know about? Uh, you, you got anything uh, in the hopper that uh, you'd be excited to share with, with me and the, the rest of our our listeners? Uh, nothing in the hopper right now other than our Bandon trip. Very excited about <laughs> that. I don't know, if, I don't know if, I can, if I can just blow that one up, but I cannot wait to go to First Bandon. First trip for here. you and I to the promised land together. I can't tell you how excited I am, man. I, I'm going to send you a picture right now that feel free to post on any social medias or any... Uh, any abandoned slacks you have, but it's me the last time I was abandoned, and I'm looking quite. Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking good, dude. I'm looking. Like, you know, I'm in a. I'm. I'm in a good spot, dude. I'm in a good. good spot. I'll send this to you right now. You're gonna get such a freaking kick out of this, dude. But uh, yeah, man, I love abandoned. I cannot wait to go back. I cannot wait for you to come come with come with us, man. It's it's gonna just be. Uh, it's gonna be a really really fun time. We're just about six weeks away from uh, from from liftoff, so. Yeah, man. All right. Well, on that note, everybody, thank you so much for listening to Nice Grass, Nice People. Mr. Durr, I appreciate your time as always. And uh, I'm going to be looking forward to doing with you again here, brother. I'm looking forward to it as well, brother. Yeah, great, great. I'm happy we were able to get all my takes off for the uh, Ryder Cup, dude. That was Those things were in the hopper. Yep. Hell yeah. Another big thank you to Chris for joining me on this week's podcast. And I'm here to one last time remind you guys that today's episode of nice grass nice people was presented by suave golf go to suavegolf.com and sign up for one of our golf trips we have in 2024 bannon dunes and sand valley two options that i consider to be not so bad so go to suavegolf.com click on the sabbaticals link at the top of the website grab a friend and come join us for four exceptional days of world-class golf great food and unmatched camaraderie All right. With that, everybody, thank you again. Nice grass, nice people. We'll be back next week. And until then, adios.